You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Um, You know, one day a man said to his friend, he said, wow, you sure look worried. And his friend responded, you have no idea. In fact, I've had so many troubles lately that if something else goes wrong, I'm going to have to wait two weeks to get around to worrying about it. I'll let you grab that joke in a second. Two weeks, you know. Church, uh, to say that the world is a little worried at the moment, to say that the world is a little on edge, to say that the world is a little unsteady would be a huge understatement, yes? People are on edge about the virus. They're on edge about school. They're on edge about the election, about job losses, about riots, about the increasing level of persecution to the church. I mean, you name it, we're on edge about it. College football's gone. NFL's next. Baseball probably won't finish the season. It's mass hysteria out there. And instead of getting better, it seems like every day you turn on the news, it just keeps getting worse. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Say, I know. And if that weren't enough, the pandemic has, or the lockdown uh, due to the pandemic has taken its toll on us. In fact, I recently read that phone calls to crisis hotlines have jumped almost 900% over the last four months. 900%. I mean, let's be real. It's hard to uh, have joy and remain hopeful and be at peace when everything around us is in disorder. It's easy to get discouraged. And the church is certainly not immune to this discouragement. And so, friends, if you're among those who are feeling a bit discouraged or downtrodden this morning... If you're among those who are feeling demoralized due to the circumstances around us, I want you to know you've come to the right place. Because today's message is for you. As we continue our study in 1 Peter, we're going to find Peter writing to the church who at the time was experiencing great distress and discouragement due to the circumstances surrounding them. They were experiencing a time of suffering and trials and persecution. And if anyone needed a shot of encouragement, if anyone needed to find hope again, it was the recipients of this letter. And who better to give it to them than a tested and tried Peter? You see, church, Peter didn't write this letter out of theory. He wrote it from experience. He's been there, done that. He knew what it was like to experience spiritual highs and lows. He knew what it was like to experience successes and failures. And he knew what it was like to experience suffering, trials, and persecution. If anyone could be a voice of encouragement to the church, it would be Peter. And so right out of the gate, he does just that. He opens his letter by giving the church some encouraging news, and in doing so, he reminds them and us of a critically important truth to remember, especially now, and it's this. When life is perilous, we find hope in God's promises. Friends, that's just not a fancy statement. That is the reality. When life is perilous, when things are in disorder, when everything is uncertain, where the church finds its hope is solely in the promises of God. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning. If you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's page 1014 in your pew Bible, if you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to ask one more time God's blessing on our time in his word. And so, Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to work through a few verses here in 1 Peter this morning. And I praise you, God, for this letter 
how timely it is for our time now. And so, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work through me, Father, that we would leave here closer to Jesus than when we arrived, God, that we would leave here uh, challenged, even more importantly, encouraged and with hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there was a father and a son, and, and they were walking on the beach, and the boy happened to notice hundreds of starfish that were washed onto the shore. And of course, not being in the water, the starfish were slowly dying. And so one by one, they began throwing them back into the water, and, and soon the boy realized that there were just too many. And so then the boy said to his dad, he said, Daddy, there are so many starfish on the beach. It doesn't matter that we're throwing a back uh, a few here and a few there. There's just too many of them. And his father lovingly replied, it matters to the ones that we pick up. You see, church, encouragement matters greatly to the ones who need it the most. The recipients of Peter's letter desperately needed a pick-me-up. And as we'll soon see, Peter doesn't disappoint. So let's begin by reading the whole passage because it's only three verses and then we'll break it down. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, when times are shaky, when life throws us through the ringer, as believers, we must dig deep into the scriptures and encourage ourselves in the promises of the Lord. And so Peter wastes no time in reminding God's people of these incredible promises. Promises that bring hope even to the most weary soul. So if you're weary, I, I hope you listen in uh, this morning because this is packed full of hope. Let's look at the first promise, first of three found in these three verses. It's this, find hope in your salvation. Find hope in your salvation. Look again at verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, read it with me on the screen, cause us to be what? Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Church, currently sitting in my kitchen right now is a chrysalis inside a glass mason jar. I didn't even know what a chrysalis was until my wife told me it's called a chrysalis. Basically, it's a caterpillar inside a glass jar. And so uh, I never heard it as called a chrysalis before. And so she found it about a week ago, and she wanted to uh, watch the glorious transformation of caterpillar into butterfly. She wanted to show the kids. And so I admit it's been pretty cool to watch. Currently, it's kind of just hanging in the glass jar waiting to turn into a butterfly. In a matter of 9 to 14 days, it's going to uh, morph into a brand new, less disgusting creature. A beautiful creation. And, and church, this is a vivid picture of what happens uh, to a person when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. The moment when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Scripture teaches that you become a new creation. Look at the words of the Apostle Paul from 2 Corinthians 5.17. Is therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. You see, church, this is the essence of what it means to be born again. You might remember the term born again first appeared when Jesus was having a conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. 
And even though Nicodemus was well-trained and well-versed in religious practices and law, even though he was rich in academia and accolades, he sensed that something was missing in his faith. And so during their conversation, Jesus revealed the missing link. Look at John chapter 3, verse 3. It's on the screen. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to Nicodemus, unless one is what? Born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, Nicodemus, he, he was curious about this statement because he was only thinking in earthly terms. And so he questioned Jesus and he was asking, wait a second, how can a man enter his mother's room for the second time and be born again? It didn't make any sense. It wasn't clicking. You see, Nicodemus, for being as spiritual as he was, completely missed the spiritual point. The Greek word for again can also mean from above. In other words, if you want to be sure that you're saved and that you're going to heaven when you die, you must be born from above. Jesus said in John 3, 5 and 6 on the screen, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, the Bible teaches that the way to be born again or born from above is to admit that you are a sinner, ask for God's forgiveness, and believe in Jesus Christ, trusting in him and him alone for your salvation. And when you do, you can be sure that you're saved. You can be sure that you're a new creation. And as you can continue to submit your life to Christ as a new believer, he will continue to transform you more into his likeness, into a beautiful creation. Are you with me? Now remember, Peter was writing to the church, which means they were believers. They were saved. They were already born again. And so Peter reminded this discouraged group of this incredible truth for good reason. Church, when we ponder our salvation, it brings hope. It brings hope. Because no matter how hard things get this side of heaven, no matter how unjust or unfair life becomes this side of heaven, no matter how much persecution or mistreatment or suffering we receive this side of heaven, we, as God's born-again children, have the blessed assurance that our citizenship and our final destination is heaven. See, no matter how bleak things may be in the present, born-again believers have a hopeful and positive expectation for the future. As Peter said, he has caused us to be born again to what? A living hope. Living, alive hope. I heard one pastor put it this way, through salvation, our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secured. Therefore, when life gets you down, listen, when life gets you down, when trials come your way, when fear and anxiety and discouragement or worry come creeping in, take hope in being a born-again child of the living God. Cling to the astonishing words of the Apostle Paul. And for, look at these words in 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Put them on the screen. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can somebody, anybody give me an amen? If you are a believer, you are not destined for wrath. You understand? No matter how bad things get this side of heaven, and guess what? They're going to get bad before they get better. No matter how bad things get, you, if you are a born-again child of the living God, you are not destined for wrath. 
That's big. And friends, if that was the only thing we had to cling to, if that was the only hope that scripture offered, it would be like way more than enough. Amen? But Peter, he ain't done yet. He's just getting started. And so let's look at the second thing, uh, the second promise we could find hope in this morning. Find hope in your inheritance. It's similar, but it's different. Look at verse 4. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. C.S. Lewis said, if you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. Church, there's a lot of truth packed in C.S. Lewis's statement there. I mean, how much time do we consume ourselves in the matters of this world as believers? Especially when election season's two months away. How much time? How many things do we share? How many opinions do we shout from the rooftops? How much stake do we put in to who gets voted in in the White House? A house that, by the way, is going to inevitably be destroyed at the coming of the Lord, right? And so there's a place for that. But, but, but I would suspect that there's a lot. I, what C.S. Lewis is talking about here, man, there's so many Christians. We, we forget that, that we're not thinking about what's to come. We're only thinking about here. So we're trying to do our best to make sure and preserve what's here. When at the end of the day, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth anyway. So we just got to have balance. Now, church, this isn't a message about the realities of heaven. But what I will say is this. One of the greatest tragedies in modern Christendom is our misconceptions about heaven. In fact, there are countless Christians who believe, and even some pastors who have preached, that heaven is basically an ethereal, eternal, never-ending worship service in the sky. And sure, I suppose it's better than spending an eternity in hell. But let's be honest, it doesn't sound much like paradise, does it? I mean, we can't even sit for an hour worship service without getting bored. How are we going to do it for eternity? But you see, when we have a proper view of heaven, and worship is certainly a, a big element of it, but when we have a proper view of heaven, when we have a proper understanding of the inheritance that awaits us, not only will it bring us hope this side of heaven, but it will dramatically impact our earthly testimony. In his book, Hope Again, a great book, by the way, by Charles Swindoll. He actually works through First Peter. Uh, he recalls a time when he was in the military. I'll just read you what he said. He said, stepping into foreign soil and into the midst of another language and culture for the first time in one's life can be an uneasy experience. It happened to me while I served in the Marine Corps in the late 1950s. Our troop ship has carried across the Pacific, and my comrades and I were about to step onto Japanese soil. We eagerly anticipated being on land after such a long time at sea. And for many of us, it was our first visit to a foreign country. We were surging with excitement, imagination, and every other emotion you could think of due to those 17 days on the same ship. He said, we were ready. But before we left the ship, however, our company commander called all of us together. He stood in front of us and looked around at the group, and then, staring deeply into our eyes, he loudly and sternly said, I want all of you men to remember that for the first time in your lives, you are foreigners. This is not your country or your culture. You are not, now, excuse me, now you are the minority. These are not your fellow citizens. They do not speak your language. They know nothing of your homeland except what they see in you. 
You as individuals are representing the entire United States. Don't blow it. Act in such a way that the Japanese people will gain a good impression of your country and what America must be like. Make us proud, not ashamed. You see, as Christians, we face a very similar situation. Paul said in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as born-again believers, earth is considered foreign soil. Therefore, how we live will tell foreigners everything they need to know about our homeland. The onus is on us as citizens of heaven to give a good impression of it. However, to give a good impression of our homeland, we must have an accurate impression of our homeland. And again, this message isn't about the details of heaven. We're going to get there. Our plan is to have a series on that in the not-too-distant future. But Peter does give us some hope-filled glimpses as to the nature of our inheritance, one that should impact how we live in the here and now. First, he says that our inheritance is imperishable, which means it cannot perish, be lost, or break down. Second, he says it's undefiled, which means it remains unstained by sin. And third, he says it's unfading, which means unlike flowers, it won't fade and it won't lose its beauty. It will never grow old, it will never wear out, and it will never, ever disappoint. Church, what, await us, what awaits us is very, very good. And most importantly, it's permanently reserved. Or as Peter put it, kept in heaven for you. For you, if you're a believer. You know, several years ago, my family and I, we, we flew to Florida with a bunch of the kids. I don't remember how many were born at the time. I'm guessing all three. I think all three. I think there was like one time we did that. And our flight was delayed for several hours, and we actually didn't make it to the Sunshine State till like 10 o'clock at night. And so we still had to get all the luggage and the car seats and our rental vehicle and get to our hotel. And by the time we did all of that, we didn't arrive to our hotel, which was only a couple miles from the, from the airport, but we didn't get there till like midnight. You know, midnight, you got kids, you want them to get to bed, the whole nine yards. And so I arrived and went to the, to the check-in station, and they said that they had given away my room. My reservation, they gave away. And they were booked for the night. And all they had to, to offer us was like a half, like they were remodeling. It was like a half-done room with no bathroom. We're like, no, we'll pass. We'll find somewhere else to go. But has that ever happened to you where you arrive to your hotel and it, what you're expecting to be there isn't there? Friends, that will never, ever happen when you arrive in heaven. What God has prepared will be there. God is faithful to keep it reserved under our name until we arrive. Nothing can change or alter or mess up what is being specifically and thoughtfully prepared for us. Jesus said in John 14, 2 and 3, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Isn't that amazing? And C.S. Lewis, he put it this way, your place in heaven will seem made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Friends, as we navigate through these challenging times, fixing our thoughts on what's to come, on what awaits us, will help us find hope in the present. In his book, Heaven, by Randy Alcorn, which, by the way, it's the book on heaven. Like, if you want to truly study heaven and understand what scripture teaches on it, there's no better book uh, that's, that's in the world right now than Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. I'm reading through it now. 
but he said this, sin and death and suffering and war and poverty are not natural. They are the devastating results of our rebellion against God. We long for a return to paradise, a perfect world without corruption of sin, where God walks with us and talks with us in the cool of the day. How many of you guys are longing for that? Say, yes, I am. Church, that day's coming. It's going to happen. It's coming if you're a believer. But until then, until that day, we do well to heed the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the right place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you die to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Friends, in, in heeding these words, we will find hope. And this leads us to the last promise in today's passage. Find hope in your protection. Your protection. Verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, church, as a parent of three kids, I know what it's like to take care of a baby. And there's one thing that's universally true about all babies is they cannot protect themselves, right? Uh, because they're weak. They don't have the power to protect themselves. Even when they become toddlers and they start moving around a bit, they're actually more prone to danger. They can't protect themselves. They're completely dependent on someone else to hold them and lift them and take care of them. Well, church, the same is true when it comes to our salvation. Did you know that? Same is true when it comes to our salvation. Our salvation and inheritance is protected not by our power to hold on to God, but in God's power to hold on to us. Theologian James Moffat said, God stands between you and all that menaces your hope or threatens your eternal welfare. The protection here is entirely and directly the work of God. So listen to me. For those of you who struggle with eternal security, for those of you who think that you can lose your salvation, this should bring you great encouragement. Because when Peter used the phrase being guarded, it's understood as this military term. It means that our souls are under continuous guard by God himself, ensuring that we will safely arrive on the shores of heaven. And listen, nothing can penetrate God's wall of protection. Nothing. I've heard it said this way, no disorder, no disease, not even death itself can weaken or threaten God's ultimate protection over our lives. No matter what the calamity, no matter what the dis disappointment or death of pain, no matter what kind of destruction occurs in our bodies at the time of death, our souls are divinely protected. And of course, the Lord Jesus said it best in one sentence in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. His hand, right? Now you might say, well, Pastor Mike, I understand, but, but what if I sin, and, and what if I struggle with doubts, and what if I worry too much, and what if my faith is just weak? Friend, you're asking the, the wrong question, and you're completely missing the point. Here's the deal. You will sin. You will struggle with doubt. You will worry. And at times your faith will be like way down here weak. 
because you're human, because I'm human, there's going to be times when we're going to lose our grip on God. But the beauty about God's amazing grace is that he will never, ever lose his grip on us. And that's amazing, isn't it? When you think about how foolish we become in our lives and how off the beaten path we go and God's just grabbing a hold of us, he, he won't let us go. Even when we let go of him. We have a great God. Amen? And so church, I know that things aren't going very well in our world right now. And believe me, I felt the same burdens and discouragements and frustrations as you. I think we're all kind of feeling it together. But man, if we can cling to the wonderful promises of God, in this case our salvation and our inheritance and the fact that it's all protected, we can't mess God up. We're not good enough. It's all protected. If we can cling to that, it's going to dramatically alter our attitudes and then our actions. And it will cause us, the church, to be the people of hope that the world desperately needs right now just as we were meant to be. How many of you want to be a people of hope? Say, I do. I do as well. And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. When life is perilous, we find hope in God's promises. Those that are closing in song, you can come forward now. And I'm going to pray over uh, our church and, and over myself as, as we... Uh, this takes work, Right? It's so easy to, to cling to the world and the promises of the world, the empty promises of the world, because that's all we're getting fed all the time. I love what Pastor Dave said earlier when he was making the announcements about how we're meant to, to be in community, but not only that, we need to be centered in the truth of God's word. Friends, this has got to be like the number one channel we tune to during this time, right here, God's word, number one. Everything else is secondary, because when we can cling to these promises, man, we're going to live with hope. And so let's pray that God will give us the strength to do that today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for your word, for the promises of your word. God, for the security we have in our salvation, in our inheritance that awaits, in your protection over us. And Lord God, we admit that we, uh, we are weak. And God, we, we struggle with what's happening uh, in, in our country and, and in our culture, Lord, and and God, it just breaks our hearts and it causes us to get discouraged. But you have called your church to be people of hope. And Lord, we find our hope. We recognize that we find our hope in your word and your promises. Lord Jesus, as weak people, we need your strength to cling to your promises. So give us that today. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.